He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion? I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Thanks be to the word of God. Well, good morning, everyone. And as Matt said, the amazing thing of being up the front is no mask. So I will enjoy that for the next 50 minutes. Um, <laughs> no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be that long. I shouldn't be that long. Um, well, for anyone here who doesn't know me, uh, my name is Daniel, uh, and it's my great pleasure to be bringing God's Word to us this morning. Uh, so please forgive me if I do stuff up at any point. This is my first time preaching, um, but I hope that at the end of this time, you wouldn't be thinking about how I've presented or anything about me, but instead you'd actually be thinking more about God and how good a king he is. Uh, so before we begin, uh, let's start off in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that in it you've given us everything that we need to know you, our creator and saviour, and that through your word we can be made wise for salvation in your son. Please give us keen minds this morning to hear and understand your word, and give us focus and make our hearts good soil for your word to take root in. Please give me the words to say this morning, to teach only the truth as you have revealed it from your word, and help us all to love and know you more this day. Amen. Okay, so we've heard a little bit about COVID this morning, and I won't try, I'll try not to speak too much more about it. Um, but one thing we can all agree about COVID is that on the whole, COVID is bad. Um, I don't think anyone here will be saying COVID is a good thing, no? No one? <laughs> uh, but one thing that has come out of COVID that I would say is good is actually the year 11 entry to uni uh, at this year. So for year 12 students last year, uh, because of all the disruptions that COVID brought to them, uh, I can see my sister here laughing. They actually got to get admissions to uni based on the year 11 grades instead of year 12 grades. Uh, because of all the online uni, uh, online school and everything like that, the unis decided that they would actually disregard their ATARs and allow them to get to uni before they even finished the year 12 exams. Now, for those of us here who weren't in this position, try to imagine how amazing that would have felt. So you're going into your exams, into the end of your whole schooling time, and instead of all the stress of the exams, everything waiting and um, your uni degrees awaiting those results, instead you know you've actually gotten into uni before you've even sat your exams. All the stress, all the anxious waiting for results and the letter from the uni, that is all gone. You can just kick back and relax, enjoy your holidays, no worries. Well, I'm sure year 12s were still a stressful time, and I'm not paying out the year 12s who did it this way at all. They all did try very hard and deserve the courses they got into. But having the end result already finished for certain, knowing that they're ultimately sure with their university um, entry, would definitely make even the most stressful exams much more bearable. Well, wouldn't we all love to have this same level of assurance in our lives going into 2022? In this world of chaos, with 2020 and then 2021 throwing us curveball after curveball, 
endless COVID changes, world politics, and things in our personal lives as well, wouldn't it be great to have some sort of source of stability and security, some sure source of blessing and assurance going into this year? Well, the passage we'll read from today, Psalm 2, will show us a bit about where we can find this blessing and assurance. And what this psalm tells us is that we can find this blessing and assurance going into this year by taking refuge in God's good King, King Jesus. Last week, looking at Psalm 1 with John Warner, we saw that we can find blessing by dwelling with God in his word. And this week, we'll see that we can find blessing by taking refuge in his king. So to give you some idea of where we're going today, I'm going to be working through uh, three main points, like any good sermon. Uh, So can I get the next slide up, guys? Thank you. Uh, So I tried really long and hard to get some alliteration and repetition. So we have point one, the king, point two, the better king, and point three, taking refuge in the king. So let's start with point one, the king. So our passage today is one of the Psalms we find in the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, The Psalms are a collection of songs, poems, and songs um, that were written many, many years ago by the Israelites. These Psalms are a great blessing to us today because they give us many insights into God, into his character and what he's done for us, and also into how we can respond to him. Uh, They give us many um, examples and voices of how to speak to God in all the joys and struggles of life. So to look at this, uh, this passage, could we get the next slide, please? So let's start off reading with verses 1 to 3. These introduce the crisis of this passage and the issue that's at hand. So let's read. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So this is the issue that this psalm is written in response to, the opposition of the nations against God and against his people. The repetition here really drives home how great this opposition is. We have the nations, we have the peoples, the kings of the earth, and the rulers all banded together against the Lord and against his people. And these rulers and these peoples are crying out for independence from God. We can see that with what they say. They're calling for them to break the chains and throw off the shackles that they say God has put on them. In a way, this is actually the world calling for a bit of a cosmic coup. Now, in the original context of this psalm, back about a thousand years BC, this kind of opposition against God's people, the Israelites, was very real and very physical. Uh, Throughout David and the other kings of Israel's lifetimes, they had to fight many battles and wage wars to give their people peace and security against all these opposing nations. So for the Israelite hearing this psalm back when it was originally written, this would have been very understandable. This was something they experienced every day. And so in response to this um, opposition that God and his people are receiving, what is actually God's response? What does God have to say about this threat to his people? Let's read on for the next few verses. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So God is not scared. God is not threatened. God is enthroned in heaven. So whatever these nations and rulers do, they are at best only kings of the earth. And so God laughs at this rebellion. What can they do? He scoffs at their vain attempts to escape his rule. And God rebukes them in his anger. He shows them just how wrong they are to try to oppose their creator. And finally, God terrifies them in his wrath by installing a king. It seems a bit of an odd answer, doesn't it? Against all this opposition of nations and rulers of the earth, 
this massive military might against his people, God's answer is one man, one king. Surely if any time in the Bible, this is one of those times where you need a platoon of angels or something to deal with this opposition. But no, just a king. And this king, in the original context, was David. In the next few verses as we read on, uh, we'll be referencing some promises that God made to David back in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so these promises were given to David and then passed on to all of his descendants. So let's read on to these promises in the next few verses. I, that is David the king, will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. So this king isn't just any king. He isn't just one man. This is a king with promises from God. This king has a close and personal relationship with God. God is his father, and he is God's son. And this king has also been promised dominion. He's been promised the nations as his inheritance, and he's been promised victory, dashing his enemies to pieces like smashing pots with a metal rod. And so, given these promises given to the king, an ultimatum is given to these nations, these rulers in rebellion. So let's read on the next few verses. Therefore, given all of these promises that God has given to his king, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. So in light of the power of this king and his assurance of victory as promised by God himself, these kings and rulers are called to repent. They're called to serve instead of rebel. They're called to celebrate the rule of God rather than seek independence. And they're called to kiss his son, a show of fealty to him, rather than to wage war. And then to finish off the psalm, we have that final little sentence there. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So while destruction and wrath come with rebelling against this king, blessing is found in taking refuge in him. The shackles and chains these nations seek to throw off are actually uh, not the chains of a tyrant, but actually rather constraints of the person who brings blessing, if they just see it. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And this blessing was true as well for the people of Israel in the context of this psalm. If ever they're filled with fear, seeing all these nations waging war against them, they could stop and remember these promises God had made to his king. If the king has been promised victory, if the king has been promised to be God's own son, then they can trust this king and they can take refuge in him for security and assurance. And so that's what we can see from the original context of this psalm, that when the nations rose up against Israel, God's people could have assurance in God uh, that God has their back, that he has promised the king victory so they could find blessing by taking refuge in him. But now we'll move on to point two, the better king. So how does this all impact us today? Because last I checked, none of us here are Israelites. Uh, none of us here are living a thousand years before Christ. In fact, we're actually 3,000 years after this psalm was written. So how does this actually have anything to do with us today? Well, last week, uh, John Warner, who was here speaking with us, um, helpfully said that before the psalms are directly about us, they're actually about Jesus. So as Christians living in the time after Jesus' death and resurrection, we believe that all of the Old Testament, all of the Psalms, the prophets, and the law of Israel are all ultimately about Jesus. We believe this greatly because Jesus himself actually believed it. 
Um, after his resurrection, we read in the book of Luke uh, these following statement by Jesus. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So if Jesus himself saw the Old Testament as being all about him, then we can agree with him on that one. But how does this passage actually show us Jesus? Well, to begin with, Jesus is the king. Uh, In his time on earth, he never sat on a throne, and his only uh, crown was a crown of thorns. But he actually was a king. That's what Christ means. When you hear Jesus Christ, Christ isn't Jesus' last name or anything like that. But it's a Greek version of the word Messiah, which means anointed one. Now, to be anointed, um, it's a bit of a funny word, uh, but it means to be smeared or rubbed with oil. A bit like um, if any of you have seen The Lion King and little baby Simba is rubbed with oil as he's shown to be the king, it's that kind of idea. And so it was a sign used in the Old Testament to signify an object, a person um, being set aside for divine use. When a person was anointed, it was either to set them aside as a priest who served in God's temple or a prophet who spoke the word of God or, in the case of Jesus, as a king who ruled. So when we hear or read Jesus Christ, that's actually what Christ means. It means he's the king. And so if Jesus is a king, and if he's a king installed by God, who are the enemies he's fighting against? In the original context of the psalm, these enemies were nations rising up against uh, God's people. But in the context of Jesus, who are then are these enemies? Well, in one way, these enemies are actually quite similar. The rebelling nations and rulers rising up against Jesus and against God. Uh, We can see this, for instance, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 4, which I'll pull up on the screen. Uh, Thank you, guys. Uh, So this is a prayer that two of Jesus' apostles prayed after Jesus had ascended to heaven. So they say, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And here they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, going to the next bit. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed. So, in one very literal sense, these rulers and nations in opposition to God um, include the people who actually killed him. So, Herod and Pontius Pilate were two of the rulers in the time of Jesus who, together with the people of Israel, actually ended up crucifying Jesus. But these leaders of Roman Israel are not the only ones in rebellion against God. It's not only the rulers of nations, the heads of superpowers, who have pitted themselves against King Jesus. Because if we take a step back, take a minute and look carefully at ourselves, we see that we too often actually rebel against God. Whether you're someone here who trusts in Jesus as your saviour, or someone who does not, I'm very glad both of you are here today, if you're in either of those categories. Um, But whoever you are, all of us have actually rebelled against God in our lives. We've actually all sought independence from him, and told him that we can actually rule our lives ourselves. And this is what sin is. When we talk about sin, sin is us telling God that we're better off on our own, ruling our own lives as we see fit, and not as he does. Sin is us seeking to break off in independence from our good creator, and rule our lives our own way. And so if we sin, if we are in this group of people who are rebelling against God, where does that leave us? If we're looking at Psalm 2, the psalm we read earlier on, that doesn't leave us in a very good place, does it? And that's why Jesus is the better king. So the original king of Israel was a great king, but Jesus is the better king. And that is because, in addition to winning against his enemies, 
in winning against all the nations in opposition to him. Jesus has also won the ultimate enemy against our very sin. So to flesh this out a little bit, we look at one more passage from the New Testament, which is Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 10. And I'll read this out for us. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And continuing on, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So what does this passage tell us? Well, since Jesus died and rose again, as we and all Christians believe, he has actually defeated death. As verse 9 says, he cannot actually die again. And so if we take refuge in him, if we're united with him, to use the words of this passage, as verse 5 and 8 tell us, we will also surely be raised with him, free from death. And more than this, if we are with Jesus in his death, then death and death has no hold of us, so too Christ has also set us free from our sin, from our rebellion against God. Look with me at verse 6 and 7 again. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And this is the good news that we believe here at Trinity Church Brighton, and that Christians believe everywhere, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has defeated death, and he's also defeated sin. And this is why he is the better king, because he wins against the rebels, but he also wins against our rebellion, against sin itself. And this means that we can actually come to him, take refuge in him, and, be, and rather, rather than actually facing his judgment, we're made able to serve him, and made able to celebrate his good rule and enjoy his blessing. And so this leads us on to our final point, taking refuge in the king. So looking ahead to 2022, how do you feel? Do you feel excited? Might be some good things coming this year. Or do you feel anxious? Do you feel uncertain? Or are you just tired from the last few years, the endless ups and downs? What do you worry this year could have in store? Could it be just endlessly more COVID chaos, which, to be honest, has actually already happened in the few weeks of this year? Could it be sickness? Could it be relationship problems or loneliness? Issues with your work? Troublesome study? International events? Or just the general struggles of life? Well, I for sure don't know what will happen this year, but we can be pretty sure that there will be some tough times ahead. So the question I have for you going into this year is that when times get tough, when calamity strikes, where will you instinctively take refuge in? Where do you go to find that assurance that everything will be all right? Now, is it your relationships? Is it your family, your spouse, or your friends? Do you have other people as your grounding, your foundation, so even if you lost your job tomorrow, even if you got that diagnosis next week, you'd be all right, because you had them and they had you? Is it your achievements or your good name? Do you rely on what you've achieved in the past against tough competition to assure you that you'll be able to win again? Is it your work or financial stability? You've got some money in the bank, you've got a house to isolate in, so you'll be all right. Your job gives you enough meaning and purpose to just get through life, even when everything else is really tough. 
Or is it your health? Do you feel like you've looked after your body pretty well? You've been blessed with some good genetics. So you've got many years ahead in the bank. Or is it your good record, the fact that you're a good person, that most people like you, and that you're nice to most people, so surely you'll end up well? Now, all these things are really good things, don't get me wrong. It is really good to come to family or friends, to come to all of the things, things that we've been blessed with in life when times do get tough. But none of them will actually give us true and lasting refuge. Because none of these last. Either we stuff them up ourselves in our own sin, we can stuff up relationships very easily and everything else as well. Or, if we don't stuff them up ourselves, ultimately death will. Death is the final enemy, and death will actually end all of these. And that's why this psalm says, the final verse that it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Because in Jesus we have refuge and blessing. In Jesus alone is there an antidote to death. In Jesus alone is there a cure for our rebellion against God. And taking refuge in Jesus, like it won't fix every problem we face immediately. I'm sure this year will still be hard for many of us here. And God never promises to make our life perfect and easy. But taking refuge in Jesus does fix our ultimate problems. Because he alone gives us assurance that we're at peace with God, that we need not fear the judgment that we hear of in this psalm. And in addition to that, he alone gives us a hope that isn't smashed by death. While all the things we can take refuge in, whether it's our family, whether it's our work, whether it's our health, all of these are defeated by death. Jesus gives us a sure hope that even when we die, we'll be raised to live forever with our great King Jesus. And so taking refuge in Jesus is a bit like having your university admission finalized before your year 12 exams. You know that the final result is secure. You know that you've gotten into uni. And you know that King Jesus has conquered the ultimate enemies. And so even though we still have to go through the exams, the tough times ahead, we'll still um, know that it will be all right in the end. We have that hope that can withstand it all. And so to wrap us up quickly, what are some practical ways that we can actually take refuge in King Jesus in this coming year? It's a bit of a phrase we can chuck around, taking refuge in him. But how can we actually do this? Well, I've got a few points here, and we'll just work through these ones. So before I suggested a bunch of different things that we can all immediately take refuge in when tough times strike. And if any of those actually struck a chord with you, then remember that. And if any of them didn't, then take a bit of time today, this afternoon, just to think through where do you go when tough times strike? Where do you instinctively take refuge? And the reason why, we, why it's a good thing to think this through is because if we're ever going to try to actually take refuge in Jesus, if we're ever going to try to actually have him as our security and our blessing, then we need to know where we instinctively go automatically and to recalibrate it back to going to Jesus. Another thing that is really good for us to do is that when tough times come, to actually get down on our knees and pray. Uh, so in the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, we're actually called as believers to humble ourselves before God, casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Jesus is the king. He is the one in control, and that's not us. And that means it's such a great thing that we can come to him and cast our anxieties on him, not having to bear the weight of them all ourselves. We can tell him the pains and the worries that we have, knowing that he has already won the ultimate battles for us, he's already sorted out our sin, and he's defeated death, and he cares for us in our current struggles too. Another thing we can do is to spend time listening to this king. Spend time coming along to church, reading from God's word, and chatting about what you've learned with each other. 
Because the more we're steeped in the promises God has made to us and the victory he has already won, the less likely it is we'll be stuck trying to fix these problems ourselves. The less likely it will be that we try to find security and blessing in what we can achieve or others can give us. So what we can do this coming year, if we're spending time in his word, is to keep our eyes on the hope of the finished work of Jesus, or his defeat of our sin and death, to keep us going even when life feels hopeless. And another thing we can do is to investigate the king. So if you're, here, if you're someone here who hasn't yet taken refuge in Jesus, someone who wouldn't call yourself a Christian, make this the year that you actually come to find blessing in our King Jesus. All of us here, we do believe that Jesus is the better king. He's the king of blessing who has defeated our sin and defeated our death. And so we would love you to come to know him as this king of blessing too. In this year of chaos and instability, maybe this could be the year that you would find your ultimate security and blessing in him. As So what have we seen today? We've seen that as the Old Testament Jews could trust and find blessing in their king, so too we can find security and blessing in our King Jesus. This better king has defeated death and also defeated our rebellion itself so that we can come to him and take refuge in him, enjoying all the blessings that he has given us. And so as we start 2022, we can find blessing, security, and assurance by taking refuge in God's good king, King Jesus. Let's finish up in prayer. Dear our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this better king, this king who not only will conquer every rebellion against him, but has also conquered our rebellion itself, our sin. We thank you that Jesus has defeated death, and that if we are united in him, taking refuge in him, we are also beyond the power of death. We have the sure hope that whatever comes to pass will be raised with our King. I pray that this year ahead would be one in which we take refuge in Jesus, and I pray that no matter what comes to pass, you would help us to rely on what he's already achieved for us and to celebrate his rule with thanksgiving and joy. Amen.